This is sort of a overview of the power of God's message to us. The Apostle Paul said, addressing the Roman brethren, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God from faith unto faith. As it is written, and he quotes Habakkuk 2 and verse 2, the just shall live by faith. In Romans the 10th chapter and verse 17, he states that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Apostle James writes to us, and the brother of the Lord, and he said that the word of God is that which we should receive, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. And then he states that we're to be doers of the word and to not just hearers only. Because if we are hearers only, then we are like a person who beholds his image in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what kind of person he is. <clears throat> so the word of God is is great and it's everlasting and it's powerful and it uh, comes from God. The first psalm uh, tells us this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They shall be like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the day of the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But he that does the will of the Lord abides forever. And that's the reason why we need to remind ourselves of the indestructibility, the everlastingness, the permanency, of the Word of God. Uh, in your outline that has been handed to you, we're talking about its origin, its purpose, and its completeness, and its indestructibility, and uh, the warnings that come from God, and uh, the questions that it answers that no other uh, book answers. And the reason is because down at the bottom of your right page, it contains the mind of God. It contains the state of man as he exists, whether it's sinfulness or sinlessness. We know when we are acquainted with God's Word. It reveals to us the way of salvation, the way of holiness, the way of being with God and being a God. We become a son of God, a daughter of God, by the message. And then we have happiness. We, it, it, re, it gives to us the happiness of believers. And it gives to us the doom of the sinners. And uh, all of this should make us <clears throat> really 
uh, stand up and take notice. Now, in talking about the origin of the Word of God, in 2 Timothy, the third chapter and verse 16, he said uh, that it's inspired. All scriptures inspired of God is profitable for correction, for instruction, for us in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, completely furnished unto every good work. Uh, we don't need to go to any other source but the Word of God to know what's right. And some people will seek it in other books, in the books of men, and in the teachings of men, uh, but they never find uh, the <clears throat> right answer. The Holy Spirit gave this in John 16, the Gospel according to John, and verse uh, 13. He, he said, you will receive the Holy Spirit. He'll come unto you, and he will guide you into all truth. He will bring to your remembrance the things which I've taught you, and he'll show you things to come. That is dealing with the past, the present, and the future. And in Second uh, Peter, the first chapter and 21, the apostle Peter said, uh, Holy men of God, um, uh, they spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that no, pro no prophecy is, is of any private interpretation. That means it didn't come by man's disposal or man's thoughts, but it came from God. And for uh, 1,500 years, the time, by the time that, that uh, Moses wrote about uh, the history of what you find in the Genesis, 90% uh, of all that he told us was past. It was past. But he began to, re to write and to give to us the story of the creation and of humanity. And it, it was over a period of 1,500 years when it began in Moses until 100 years after uh, the cross that the Old and the New Testament was written. And it was written by about 36 men. And uh, uh, some say 42. But it doesn't matter. We have 66 books. And if we don't know uh, exactly who all the writers are, we know that God is the author of everything that's written. And that's the reason why the, the, New, the Old Testament and the New Testament stands as a, a canon from God, and all of them went in a canon. A canon means a book. Because the same theme, the same message, the same uh, great uh, good news to man that uh, he is saved. And there have been a lot of languages and dialects uh, that God has dealt with since the beginning of man, and uh, we hope to translate the Bible into every one of them. We haven't yet, but we hope to. Now, the purpose of the Bible is to keep a man from sin. Uh, David said, Let me hide thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We gave out a calendar last time, and it I said in the bulletin that it would take you through the New Testament three, three times. It's four times. If you'll follow that. Now, if you haven't followed that and you want a copy of that, just ask for it and we'll give it to you. But you can catch up now. You can read what we have down there and catch up with it. But if you can follow the calendar for the 12 months, you will have read the New Testament through four times. That'll be a blessing. It'll be a blessing to you. 
There's no way of indicating how much uh, you can receive from it. It enlightens us. Uh, it lightens the, it lights the way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway, 119, 105. And 2 Timothy 3 and 15, uh, the word of God is, is that which uh, certainly uh, instructs man. And he said, uh, I write this to you that you might know how you might behave yourself in the house of God, the church of the living God. It's to help us and to instruct us and to enlighten us. And we need to, First Peter uh, 1 and verse 22 says that it purifies us. Not only, that's not the only one, but when old Peter preached the first gospel sermon to the Gentiles, he said uh, that they may purify their hearts by faith. So faith in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and it purifies a man's heart. It frees us. Frees us from uh, all the wickedness and all the sin. John 8, verse 32 says, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If, if you're angry, and if you're mad, and if you're just mad at the world, and you're just rebellious, just understand that you need to get free. And the only freedom that's real freedom is knowing the Word of God and that God wants to be in your heart. And he can get into your heart by you letting him into your heart. He gets into your heart through Christ. And Christ is the only one who's ever been in the flesh and gone back and is God now. He can synchronize his life with our life because he's the only one that's ever been in the flesh. And he has the answer. And he has the truth. And in James 1, 21 says that it saves us. The Word of God saves us, and it does save us. Now, it's real complete. In, in John 16 and verse 13, when he said, He'll guide you into all truth, he meant all truth. And he'll show you things to come. That's, that was what they needed. And he'll bring to you remembrance of things that I've taught you. It's complete. And in Second Peter 1 and 3, when he was writing to these his last epistle, he said, he gives us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We won't find the answer to godliness and to life in any other book but the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. In Acts 20 and verse uh, 27, the apostle was addressing the brethren at Ephesus, and he said, I shall not to declare you the whole counsel of God. And in verse 32, he said, I commend you to God. But you know how? He said, unto the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. Brethren, we need to know the truth. And when you look at Matthew 24 and verse 35, he said, the word of the Lord shall, uh, shall not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but he said, my word shall not pass away. It's going to be there. And it's going to stand while we're in heaven, while we live eternally. And First Peter 1 and verse 25, he says as much. He says, the flower of the field, they're going to pass away. But he said, the word of the Lord is going to last forever. Now, you know, we have a lot of Bible warnings. The warning 
that we are not to add to it or take from. Deuteronomy 4.2, Proverbs 36 is in the center of the Bible. Deuteronomy 4.2, sorry, at the beginning. And then in Revelation, the end, it gives that warning again. Anybody not to take, add to or take from. We don't need to change it. It doesn't need to be changed. And uh, you don't substitute ideas. By Mark 7 and verse 7 through 9, he said, Well, you do take commandments of men uh, and your traditions, and you reject the commandments of God. And we need to understand that we can get tied up in tradition and the commandments of men and our, in our agenda and neglect the agenda of God. And we're to, in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, at verse 2, he told old Timothy, he said, God is looking. God is looking for you. He's looking for young men. And he said, despise not thy youth, Timothy. But he said, you preach the word. You be in season, out of season. You reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. They'll turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned aside under fables. While the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 4 and 11, he said, If any man speaks, you let him speak as the oracles of God. That means just the Word of God. And in Galatians, the first chapter in verse 8, he said to those Galatians, he said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him who calls you unto another gospel, which is not another gospel, but there would be some that would pervert the gospel of Christ. And he said, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which has been preached, let him be accursed. In John, the 12th chapter, and verse 48, Jesus made it very clear that someday we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things done in the body, to give an account of our teaching and what we have taught and what we have practiced. And he said that we would be judged by those things. Well, in his Sermon on the Mount, and he has three chapters there, at the conclusion of that, he made sure that people understood that the man who was cursed was the man who heard these things and would not listen and obey. And he described it beautifully when he said, it's like a man who builds his house on the sand. When all the destructive weather comes, uh, his house will just crumble and crush and fall, and that's the way we do if we not build our lives on the Word of God. But then he usually he said, now the person who does hear these things of mine, and he does them, he'll be like a man who builds his house on rock. And all these things shall come to pass, but none of them will move him. We can, uh, will not be moved. Now, I want you to think about the Bible uh, <clears throat> answers to these three questions. Where did I come from? Man has tried to answer that by teaching evolution and by teaching the boon, great boon theory, uh, how the world came into existence. But you know, the Word of God told us in just a few words. It said, Jesus Christ created it that he existed with God, and that he created everything is created. Without him was not anything created that has been created. That's John, the first chapter. And John, the first, uh, his first epistle, he repeats it. And he goes all the way back to the beginning and lets us know that Jesus is the beginning of life. 
Now, man is doomed. He's doomed. You can't answer these questions. Where did man come from with your own strength? God has answered them. And uh, the purpose of life is why am I here? Is to serve him. He said, I came, and I want you to know that I didn't come to be ministered unto, but I came to give my life a ransom for many. And if you want to save your life, you've got to give your life, just like I did. If you want to follow me, you give up your cross, or you take up your cross. And if you want to live eternally, you save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life in service, you'll save it. And he demonstrated that before us. God who existed in the form Christ who existed in the form of God counted not the being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself even in the death, yea, the death of the cross. God highly exalted him and gave him uh, that name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord for the glory of God the Father. How can you escape death? No one has, unless you have Christ. No one has ever answered that question. Now, if you haven't put on Christ and if you haven't died with him and if you haven't taken up his way of living, you're lost. You're doomed to a devil's hell. I didn't say that. Jesus said, Where I am, ye cannot come. If ye believe that I am not he, ye shall die in your sins, and where I am, you cannot come. John 8, verse 24. Now I want to just share with you in closing, I want to share with you some things from the Word of God to sort of help you to get your focus. In Proverbs, the fourth chapter, in verse 23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You've got to keep your mind. The only way you can keep your mind is by meditating and, and working to keep the Word of God. That which is in the heart of an individual produces happiness or unhappiness. When the heart is right, everything else will be right. Since our lives are wrapped up in the lives of others, and we are a bundle of life together, our hearts cannot be right without a proper attitude toward others. Proper consideration of others is essential to health and happiness. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and verse 24, and this is the word of God that's indestructible, and it's the truth. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. In Philippians 2, in verse 4, passage that I quoted from a few minutes ago, Look not every man, when I said Christ took on the form of man, in that same second chapter of Philippians, he said, Look not every man to his own things, but every man to the things of others. That's the 
Word of God speaking. There can be no place in a healthy heart for selfishness. Selfishness causes improper consideration for others. It is very important to all of us that we receive proper consideration. If we do not believe others are being considerate to us, we have a difficult time in having a proper attitude for them. This is true in the relationship of life, whether it's the wife or the husband, whether he's considerate of her and she feels that she's being cheated. This is equally true if the husband does not believe he has received any consideration that he should from his wife. In every way that we are related to other people, this is true. Whether at work, whether in our homes, this is true. And it is easy to see the value of developing an attitude of proper consideration for others. If we are not careful, our lives will be based on what we want or what we think is best. And we cannot understand why others do not want the same things that we want. Any decision of others or anything done by them which is contrary to what we want and what we would do disturbs us because we are thinking only of ourselves. Listen to most conversations and you will find that they're filled with little criticisms of the tastes and the actions of others. A woman who dyes her hair black may find herself criticizing another who dyes her hair blonde or some other color. She does not stop in her thinking to consider that if there is anything wrong with dyeing hair, she's just as wrong as the other person is. Her thinking, though, unrecognized the desire of the other person and ties it up in her own interpretation of things. Once a man was very critical of another for driving certain automobiles. He was driving one of less value. Once a man wrote an article in which he condemned people who owned an automobile except the certain brand that he owned, which happened to be the one he was driving. All of this reveals how much our thoughts are turned inward and how inconsiderate we are of other people. But I can never learn to feel as I should toward others 
I can never know complete spiritual health until I learn to properly evaluate the other person. This word consider contains two ideas that need to be given proper thought. One is the strength others that it is to strengthen others in their trials and tribulations and in their conflicts and difficulties. How we may about go about doing that will depend on the nature and extent of, of the trials others bear. It is certain that I'm not in a position to strengthen another until I learn to go out of myself and develop a proper feeling for that person in his difficulty. We're not an individualistic people, not nearly as much as we ought to be. We need the strength of others. And we need the strength they give when they understand where we are. More than we need to the strength we receive from strengthening others, we need the strength that gives us to help others. There's a lot of strength in reaching down and helping someone who's struggling. It is so easy to take life for granted. It is so easy to become wrapped up in our own selves and forget how much we need others. If we can just understand the other's difficulty and help them, it'll strengthen us a lot more than it'll strengthen the person that we help. If you haven't experienced that, God help you to experience it. A man once said, I'm worth a half a million dollars and I'm obligated to no man. He forgot that the wonderful automobile he was enjoying, he couldn't be enjoying it without the labor and without the efforts of a lot of people. The fact that we are able to pay for the services of another in no way takes away the value of the service that people offer. And although there may be definite prices that we pay for certain services, they cannot always be measured in dollars and cents. By a physician, by his skill, saves our lives changes the way that we perform, gives us help, and charges us a few thousand dollars. Is that all our life is worth? A nurse patiently cares for us during the healing time and charges and gets paid 20 to 24 to $30 an hour. And we think that's a tremendous price, $100 a day, probably for her, which she is meager for her to live on. But is that all our, her services is worth? 
You know, the fact that we are able to pay money for things and the services does not remove our obligation. To understand that we're serving each other and we're helping each other and that we're co-workers with each other and that God wants us to understand how that we interact with one another. And he said, everybody will know that you're my disciples the way you love each other. Oh, how the church of Christ needs that truth. That word, indestructible word, burned into our lives and into our hearts. We can strengthen others by helping them when it is possible for us to do so. After all, our business is in helping people. Not people serving us. We need to know the right way to help because there is a wrong way to help. I do not help out of a sense of obligation, but because of the opportunity. I need to help others much more than they need my help. I need it because that's making me Christ-indwelled and a servant of Christ. That which the act of helping others produces in me is far more important than any relief that they may receive from my help. It's important for us. So I do not help others to place them under obligation to me and say, look what I've done for you. Look what you owe me. Oh, that's the wrong way. Neither do I help them because I feel myself superior to them. I help them because doing so is a natural part of belonging to Christ, the one who came from heaven and is God and gave us the nature of God that we might serve one another. And that's the reason he took the towel and served his disciples and said, if you don't want me to wash your feet, you can't have any part with me. You've got to wash each other's feet. Of course, in order to help others, it will be necessary for me to know the kind of help they need. Otherwise, I might hurt them instead of help them. You know, sometimes it's possible to help others and give them strength by merely just listening to them. Just listening to them. Now, I know a lot of people may not be helped that way, but most of us are. Just having someone who listens and who can be trusted in all that some people need, is that's all they need. Naturally, they must feel that we listen as a friend and not as a foe. No one can share his troubles with one who cannot be trusted. He cannot receive my, any strength from me who is weak enough to take what he's told me and go make a mountain out of a molehill and turn against him and try to hurt him. How sad. And although we may not be able to sympathize in the fullest sense of the word, we can at least allow the person to know that the best 
of our ability and our sympathies are with him. And we, like he, are seeking to interact and help and do what little we can. In other words, we do not listen in such a way that a person would feel he was talking to a stone or to an inanimate object. When someone only needs a, a, a listener, that's all I should try to be. It is useless to offer advice where advice is not wanted. And you may think we're rebellious in our teenage years, but I have witnessed it in the senior citizens as well when you try to tell them what to do. Because they have a lot of wisdom, and they have their own agenda, and they have rights, and they need to be shared with wisdom that will help them. Not only is it useless, but it may do harm the way we interact this way. We need to understand. Certainly it will cut off the only channel the other person has open for receiving help if we don't interact with him when we're listening to him. Knowing what to do is very important. But knowing when to do it is equally as important and in wisdom and is wisdom that only comes probably from God. We may strengthen others by a word of just encouragement. I don't know why it's so difficult for us to recognize when people need encouragement. But we all have that weakness. Everyone needs encouragement. But many never receive it and few know how to give it. Sometimes those who may need it most do not receive it because they do not feel they even need it. A man once wrote a, an editorial in a, paper, in a paper, and a person read it. He's very, very impressed. And he said, I've just got to write that guy and tell him how much I appreciate that. And finally he saw him. And he said, you know, I, I wanted to write and, and tell you how much I appreciated your editorial. But he said, I knew that you just have so many letters. He said, I didn't have a letter. Some of the greatest ability we have, we seldom use. Maybe that of encouragement. Maybe we, we've learned about the failure of some great person. We believe that uh, he had everything in his heart. He had everything going for him. And he didn't need anything. And yet, uh, we've found out that some hearts have been broken before we got to them to encourage them. Discouragement is one of the biggest of weapons that Satan uses. It's a killer. It creates more havoc and more lies than we are aware. If we know something good about others, we should tell them so. Not only because they need to hear it, 
but also because we need to do it. It helps us. Barnabas was called the son of encouragement, the son of consolation. He encouraged people. No person is more welcome or more needed than one who will encourage others. There are many other ways we can strengthen others and grow stronger in doing so. But there is not any more proper than consideration of others. You know, proper consideration leads to proper consideration. No person is happy who does not believe he is receiving proper consideration from others. Neither can he feel his, do his best in his work without it. One who believes he is receiving proper consideration from others will be willing to do more and will receive more joy from rendering a service than he ever received before. Makes it work for everybody. People in the business world have learned this. We usually do business with those whom we believe are fair. We avoid those we believe are unfair. Books have been written. Courses have been given. And business people have insisted on fair treatment. Some even go so far as to say the customer must be satisfied because we like the kind of treatment we go back to those places when we need services. That which is true in the business world is true in our relationships as Christians. We're prone to give back what we get. Therefore, we would expect to receive proper consideration from others because we give consideration to others. And it's due. Following this simple rule can make it. Maybe we're like the little girl that there was a in front of a doorstop a an object that looked just like an old ugly bulldog. And it was a, a form of that. And the little girl was down looking into that old bulldog and making the same ugly face that she was reflecting. And her mother came up and said, well, what are you doing? She said, well, he started it first. I hope that's not our reaction in life, but brought the opposite. That we see the beautiful picture of consideration and the beautiful message in God's Word. And we begin to mimic and imitate the divine, the holiness, the great instructions for our God. 
and become what he wants us to be. If you haven't become a Christian, the message is you believe in Christ, you repent of your sins, you be buried with him in baptism, and you put him on and he'll be in you, and he'll give you strength to live according to his word. If you're subject to that call, come as we stand together and say.